Welcome everybody to the American Coinot podcast, bringing a special podcast to you today, the man behind the clean show. And I'll expand on that in a moment. We're here in the offices of Riddle and Associates. And the man that I'm speaking about, his name is John Riddle. John has been the, uh, the owner and president of Riddle and Associates for many years. And Riddle and Associates is known as the, uh, has been known as the show manager for the Clean Show, which is the major trade show for this industry. Officially, the World Educational Congress for Laundry and Dry Cleaning, but more commonly known as the Clean Show. Good afternoon, John. It's good to talk to you. Hey, Bruce. It's great to have you here. Get you in Atlanta and give you some sunshine. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, you know that I'm from Chicago, and we don't always get a lot of sun up there, but it's good to be here in Atlanta. So I want to talk to you, John, about a few things. But first, let's talk about the Clean Show. I mean, it's coming up. We're recording this in uh, March 2019, and the next Clean Show is in June 2019 in New Orleans. Tell our audience just a little bit about the show and what they can expect to see. Well, I think the audience is going to be, uh, I'm assuming everyone is in some phase or form of the textile care industry, whether it be laundry, dry cleaning, uh, textile rental, coin-op, etc. I think you're going to be very happy. Um, we had a great show in 17 in Las Vegas, and New Orleans is uh, right there with it right now. Uh, currently, uh, we are over 211,000 square feet, uh, which is great. Uh, you're going to see an awful lot of exhibitors. A lot of new things are coming that you will be pleased to see. Uh, our attendance is holding up. Based on what I know and the years I've done this, I'm going to say that most people, I mean, that we can look for a good show. And as always, you can come and actually see equipment work. And we're proud of the fact that when people come to the clean show, they get a chance to see the equipment they're contemplating buying actually work. And that's an important selling point for the show because not a lot of other, not necessarily a lot of other trade shows make that available. In, I mean, you tell me, is that a common thing for me to be able to see the equipment that I'm interested in purchasing being operated? Truthfully, no. It, it becomes very expensive for an, for an exhibitor, for instance, to bring a tunnel washer or a big washer or extractor to the show. Uh, just the cost alone of getting it there, then you got to have the, the time and materials to and the money, if you will, to fire them up and then run them and show the attendee what it will do. Uh, we have, a, as we, you and I have talked many times, our package plan for exhibitor services uh, is such that it has enabled the exhibitor to actually come and operate his equipment in a cost-effective manner so that the attendee gets advantage of that. So it's, you don't just need to see one side of a presentation. You can look at multiple pieces of equipment, operate under one roof, generally within a couple hundred feet of each other. Right. So that, that demonstration alone is uh, worth the trip. Right. I mean, it, it's the one time, from my experience, and I've been covering the clean show for, well, let me see, I'm trying to remember how many I've been to, eight or nine at least, it's the one time, the one place where you can come, where someone can come. A coin, in my case, I cover coin laundries for American Coin Op, but we're doing this podcast 
for our, uh, our other magazines, American Laundry News and American Dry Cleaner, whoever they may be, they can come and see all the equipment from all of the major manufacturers all in one place. And that's really the clean show is the place that provides them the opportunity to do that. Well, I, I, you just hit on the point that very few people acknowledge sometimes. This show, the clean show, absolutely addresses every sector of the textile care industry, whether you're operating in the corn laundry environment, or if you're operating in the laundry, dry cleaning, commercial, industrial laundry, or if you're in textile rentals, whether it be uniforms or linens, hangers, computers, everything that one needs to be in this business for all sectors is there. This is not just a laundry show or a rental show or a this show or a that show. Yeah. This show really covers the entire industry called textile care. Now, there, with this show particularly, there's, we're kind of going through a transition of sorts. Uh, Mesa Frankfurt acquired uh, the clean show recently, and this really will be, it seems, the last clean show that Riddle & Associates uh, will be a uh, show manager for. And we'll get into this in a little more detail, but just if you could just talk a little bit about that and, and kind of the history that, your, that you and your company have enjoyed uh, being part of the clean show. You know, everybody that knows me uh, knows that I get very sentimental <clears throat> about a lot of things. Uh, the people come to the press conference or our press reception on Thursday night just to see John Riddle cry. <laughs> I've never disappointed him never, yet. Never. That's and true. I hope I don't. <laughs> but I, it is an emotional thing for me to have to, to acknowledge the fact that this will be the last show that I do. I hope it won't be the last I attend, but this will be the last one in which I am in charge of it and have been blessed with the ability to be involved with this great industry since 1981. I took over the management, total management, in 1992. But I'm a couple years away from being 80. And quite frankly, uh, I didn't want to be walking a trade show floor at 530 in the morning when I'm 80 years old. <laughs> I would much prefer to be in a trout stream or on a golf course. You know, we all have to say it's time. Right. I think it's time for, for me and for, you know, for me particularly to do that. And uh, it's, it's been an honor for me and for everybody in our organization to be associated with such great people. Uh, you know, I, I've known you for a while now, and you are you're a very interesting man. I'm, I'm speaking. <laughs> that's my opinion. I'm sure I've been, maybe others hold the same opinion. But I, I say that in the way that in learning about your background and where you came from, uh, there's just a lot of, you know, you've got a lot of fascinating stories to tell because you've led a really interesting life, both personally and professionally. But uh, so I wanted to kind of go back to some of those things that you and I have talked about and share with our audience. One that they may not know is that you were a professional uh, baseball player. You, you excelled uh, as a young man and, and you were given the opportunity to, to play pro baseball. Tell our audience a little bit about that, how that came about, and what your experience with pro ball was like. Well, any, anybody that gets a chance to play professional sports is lucky. Uh, I consider myself blessed and lucky to be able to do that. That's what, I, that's what I wanted to do, and I got to do it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to the big leagues, but I got to AAA ball uh, 
as I've told you, I got hurt. My Achilles tendon stepped on, and that cut my career short. But I was able to go to college. And out of college, I signed with the Orioles in 1962. I uh, had a chance to play for Earl Weaver, Billy Hunter, Cal Ripken Sr. I played with Lou Pinella, Jim Palmer, Mark Belanger, uh, just to name, you know, Davey Johnson, a number of these people that uh, that some will know and some won't know. It's it's truly a blessing to be able to to be on a team. I love team sports. I'm a team guy. If you ever saw Bull Durham, you, you saw pretty much what minor league baseball was like. And even when I got into AAA ball, we got out of yellowback school buses and old Greyhound buses riding all over the Dakotas, the Midwest, the upper Midwest, in white Etzel station wagons. It's There's no time that you can imagine being with a group of guys at 2 o'clock in the morning riding in a bus in the highway somewhere dark and and you're not a care in the world and you're going to go play a baseball game the next day. That's strong. The only thing, I wish I'd have been a pitcher because I could have gotten to sleep on the back row. (laughs) First baseman just got wherever they could go, but uh, pitchers always got the back seat. Now, is it fair uh, to describe you as a power hitter? Were you a power hitter? You hit a few dingers in your time, right? I uh, I would say that I was probably you could call me a power hitter. Yeah, you probably you could you could say that. I say yeah. I, I say that. <laughs> well, I know that in your, you know the course of of your career, uh, you made some some all star teams. Uh, I'm sorry, you were all American actually two years in uh, Mars Hill Junior College. You're selling yourself short in in how good a player you were, but you know so you had that time in your life where you were able to play professional sports, and, and as you mentioned, your career was kind of cut short, didn't have that chance to really get to the to the majors. But having taken that journey, it kind of led you to the majors. And by that, I mean you ended up with a role with the Atlanta Braves in the front office. Tell the audience a little bit about that. Well, when I, when I decided to quit playing because of the injury and some other things, I had worked for the Atlanta Braves in the winter before my last year, I was there. The Atlanta had just come to the big league. They had come to Atlanta and uh, from Milwaukee. From Milwaukee. Okay. And uh, I was part of a team of ball players that were in the area that we helped sell season tickets. We did some PR for them. And when I finished my year in 1966 in AAA ball with uh, Indianapolis, I got traded from the Orioles to the White Sox in June of that year. Uh, I came back home. I'd made the decision that I had a family, a young son, not quite a year old, that uh, it was time to get serious about developing a career of some sort. Anyway, I went out to the stadium to see some friends, and uh, when I left there, I had a job as director of operations. And I told the gentleman that hired me, who was a good friend of mine, I said, I don't know anything at all (laughs) about operations of a stadium. I know where the front door is. I've been in a few of them. And we laughed and we cut up. He said, don't worry, we'll teach you. So that was my beginning, my journey in the front office of professional baseball. Uh, I went from there. uh, I got promoted to the director of sales of advertising. And I also had the job to be the promotion director for the newly formed Atlanta Chiefs Soccer Club. Uh, Then I, I got promoted again and became the director of sales 
which means I had everything in sales except radio and television, season tickets, advertising, and I was there until 1975 when I, when I left and became the general manager of the Atlanta Convention Bureau. Atlanta is your home. Uh, I mean, you've been here for how many years now? Uh, my math's not very good with a mic in my face. <laughs> <laughs> decades. Now, decades. I mean, it's, yes, been home, yes. it's been your home for decades. I've been here right at 60 years. Okay. So you know the Atlanta community pretty yes. well. But what exactly did you do for the CVB? Well, I was a general manager. There was a, I, I had the number two position there. And my job was to run the, the convention bureau on a daily basis. Uh, it's just a, it's a big promotion, multiple ways of a, of a municipality. Once you left the CVB and you were there roughly two years or so, you stayed in Atlanta, though, and really then is when you really struck out on your own in terms of having your own business endeavors. You had some retail stores. You told me at one point that, that you were kind of involved in the first Cabbage Patch. <laughs> Interesting story. Dolls. To talk a little bit about that. I had a retail store in downtown Atlanta in Peachtree Center, if anybody is familiar with Atlanta. It was called Terminus Gift Shop. Atlanta's original name first was Terminus, which means the terminating is the point. It's the end of the line, if you will. It was the first store in Atlanta in which the local Georgia artisans had an outlet. I was at the Stancy Georgia Art Festival back many, many, many years ago, and I met Xavier Roberts. And Xavier Roberts was the creator of the Cabbage Patch doll. These children, these Cabbage Patch children were unbelievable. And he dressed them literally in used children's clothes. And they had a name. Pigtail, some, brown hair, black hair, you name them. Well, I made a mistake of saying, you know, I'd like to sell these dolls in my retail store. Well, about two hours after I, he had finished raking me over the coals, that children were not sold. Children are adopted. And I said, well, can I open an adoption center? And he acquiesced and said, okay, you can, you can be an official adoption center. I was number one. People went absolutely nuts over this. He, wanted, he went from dolls to preemies, premature babies. Then he went to stand-ups. He made me a stand-up doll, and that doll's name was John Russell. And he had an old uni baseball uniform on with my number on it, three. And I had people adopting these things. The first one I ever adopted was to a Dodge dealer in Texas. His daughter had to have it. But that put Terminus Gift Shop really on the map. And then Cabbage Patch, at, what, at some point, Cabbage Patch went well, nation, yeah, they sold it nationwide, yeah, yes, right? Exactly. Well, one thing in particular that, that interests me was you ran a rodeo promotion. You promoted rodeos. How did, that, how did you get started with that, and what was that business like? Through that store, I got to meet an uh, orthopedic surgeon who became a friend of mine, and he had been in the service in, Mexi in Arizona, and he started riding and, and roping cattle. And I went down to his farm, ranch, I got interested in roping cows. I was 42, got on my first horse in a long time, and uh, the bug bit me. Philip and I owned some Corriente cattle, which is a Mexico steer. Uh, we had the first registered bull east of the river where we raised uh, roping steers. The river being the Mississippi? Mississippi, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And I happened to be at a restaurant in Buckhead one day, and the president of Six Flags Over Georgia, who was a friend of mine, Spurgeon Richardson, saw me in my western boots and a hat, and he, of course, punched some fun at me, and he said, do you know anything about rodeo? And I said, yeah. I've never been to a rodeo in my life. <laughs> and he said, will you do a rodeo for us? I said, of course I will. So then the journey began to find a stock contractor who I found, Preston Folks. So we produced rodeos for Six Flags for nine years. And sometimes if you really want to have some fun, we'll sit down and talk about the day that uh, we were putting bulls in the, bull, in, the, in the arena to feed them because for the performance the next day, and uh, they got out of the arena. <laughs> they were in the parking lot at Six Flags. They were running around, oh, no. nine of them. They were under the screen machine. We had guys on Vespers trying to chase down these cattle. <laughs> we roped them in the parking lot. The horses' shoes were shooting sparks where they were being drugged on the concrete. Oh, my gosh. Asphalt. But, uh, yeah, we, I still love rodeo. I still go. I go to the national finals every year. Uh, the people in rodeo are some of the greatest people on earth. A lot easier to, uh, to rope attendees than it is steers, Ooh. right? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting down, we're getting close to about the time that, that you really kind of got involved in, in the trade show business. You know, and, and again, it came about because of a relationship that you'd had, a personal relationship you'd had with someone. Talk about how you became to be part of a trade show and how that kind of uh, transitioned you into the role that you eventually ended up with with the clean show. I did. I When I was at the Bureau, Convention Bureau, I booked a show called the National Association of Music Merchants to come to Atlanta in our newly built Georgia World Congress Center. And just before they came, we had an unfortunate thing to happen within our city. Uh, a gentleman lost his life. Somebody tried to rob him, and everybody got leery about coming to Atlanta, which you certainly can understand. And I was had already left the Bureau. But a number of my friends that I had met when I was at the Bureau called and asked if I could do some things to help them. They wanted me to go to the airport and have some meet and greets at the airport, be on the show floor and help the exhibitor make sure that they knew that the associations were really into their best interest and wanted to do whatever we could do to make them have a wonderful show. And I did. After that was over, this particular group asked me, you're pretty good at this. Would you come to California? All of a sudden, all the things I've got at home, I'm on the road trying to make people happy on a trade show floor. But that's how I got into the trade show business. Got a call from, from a guy named Ward Keel, who was a, a gentleman who used to be with Car Wash. As you know, Car Wash and Coin were together at one time, and they asked me if I would. They were coming to Atlanta in 1981. If I would help them, if I would put the show on there, they'd sell it if I'd kind of do the operation and put it together, which I said I would. And I have been with The Clean Show ever since then. I didn't sell the show. I didn't have anything to do with the promotion. Uh, in 81, 83, 85, 87, 89, we all remember Dallas in 89 when it snowed. Ice storm. Ice storm. Yeah, right. we couldn't even get them to clean the sidewalks. 
And then in 91, we were in Vegas. And in 92, they wanted to put the show out to bid for a management company. And I asked if I could bid, or they asked me if I wanted to bid. I said yes. And uh, there was, I think, seven management companies. And fortunately, uh, Riddle and Associates won that bid. And it has been a blessing ever since then. And we've been associated with the show as their management company since 1992, but with the show since 1981. Thinking back now, what was it like organizing that first, the first clean show that you were part of? Or what? not necessarily organizing it, but managing that first clean show. What was that like for you? And how has that experience changed over 30 years? Well, I can speak from experience. Fear will make you do a lot of things. <laughs> I was scared to death, to tell you the truth. Uh, it's a big job when you try to put this, when you put a show of this magnitude together. Things have changed tremendously as far as our ability to communicate. The speed of which you can communicate now makes it much easier to talk to people. Because when you stop to think about what we're doing, is we're asking an entire industry to set aside four days or five days within a 365-day period and asking everybody to come together. That's very difficult to do and to be able to communicate with them. And the fact that we once we developed our program for the package plan that we've developed the services for the exhibitors, it allowed the exhibitors to bring some things and do some things that people wanted, which was to see equipment work. You spend the kind of money that you spend for these equipment, you want to make sure you're making a good decision, and you'd like to see it work before you buy it. I think, my opinion is, that one of the big reasons the show has been so successful over the past years, and I think it has been successful. I don't mean to be bragging that we've done wonders. We can always grow and get better, and we hope we do. But the members of the media in this industry have accepted responsibility of helping this industry grow like nothing I've ever seen. You guys have been great. I mean, you have taken your role as a member of the media for an entire industry seriously about giving them good information, timely information, and helping bring awareness to what's going on in the industry. And I applaud you and all of your associates uh, for that. Thank you for for saying that, John. You rely on a lot of people to help put the show on. Talk about your staff here at Riddle & Associates and the people who are behind the scenes like you who communicate with all of these 400 plus exhibitors with 10,000 or so attendees and make it all come together during that four day period every two years. Talk about those people. Well, they're my heroes. I could, nobody could do it without a staff. I mean, nobody's that good. I don't care who you are. Uh, I've been, been blessed for a career in, baseball and many things that I've been able to do, God has been good to me. And one of the kindest things that he's ever done for me is put me in the midst of these people here. Whether it's Paul, Beth, Ann, Jewel, Kayla, they're unreal. When you see what we do or what they do, I am a part of the team, of course. They're amazing. Five people do what you what people will see at that show is done by five people. I mean, these people are like family to me. 
And these folks deserve the credit. They're the ones who do the work. What has proven to be most challenging about clean show management for you? Well, it's always a challenge to, to be able to, A, pick the date that you think that you can get the, the, more, the most people to show up and be here. Once you determine your dates, then you've got to sell exhibit space. That's what people want. So you've you got to try to find something always new for the folks to be able to see, and that sometimes is a challenge. We, we look at it this way. If we give the industry a good show, and that's what we're engaged to do, good venue, good product, good show, then we have helped contribute to the economy because we are affording businesses to grow, to stay in business, to hire people, and to move forward. That gives us a great deal of satisfaction. Do you have a favorite clean show destination? They all have their, their plus and minuses. The biggest challenge right now in all industries, and particularly ours, the trade show business, is labor. It's an outstanding way to make a living. It's temporary, but it's permanent temporary because it consumes a lot of labor to do this. I mean, you're, you're asking a show to put together 5 million pounds of freight 480 structures in six days. Have you had an experience where you were afraid that the show wouldn't be ready when the time came to cut that ribbon? I've been involved with shows for the better part of 40 years. I've had one show. It wasn't a clean show, by the way, that uh, we opened up at the front door as we were kicking the contractor out the back door. Okay. And rather than putting two strands of aisle carpet down, we only put one. And we were missing a couple hanging signs, but we've never failed to open. If someone would walk on the trade show floor at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night before we open, you would say, there is no way this is going to be ready at 8 o'clock in the morning. And if you don't believe there's such a thing as miracles, come and spend that last night on a trade show floor, and then when you come back the next day, it is spit shining and polished. I can attest to that because I've I've seen those those instances where I've been there the night before, not necessarily the night before, but at least late afternoon, early evening on the date before the show was supposed to start, and it's exactly right. as you've said, the carpet's not down, and they're still building booths and putting equipment in. And sure enough, when I came back the next morning, 8 o'clock the next morning, it was all there, all ready to go. It is amazing. It really is amazing. How much time would you say is involved in putting together a clean show? You know, is it easily more than a year? We, I, the way we operate this was generally the show's over in June, and we will start when we get back. We have to go through an audit, as you know. We've got dates picked out for these future years, so we know where we're going. But then we start working on communication pieces with exhibitors about buying space. We start the process of, of looking at what we want to do. And then it will take us, we really get into it, uh, about 18 or 19 months prior to the show date. It takes you that long to get, I mean, just to work out things like steam and that we do. I mean, we're unique. What you're seeing on that trade show floor is equivalent of about 100 laundries. Yeah, let's talk about steam for a moment. I mean, in order to run some of the equipment that's on the floor, they need to have the availability of steam, and not every venue has that, 
right? Talk about that. Well, there's aspect. a lot of people ask us, why don't you go to X or Y or Z? Well, the short answer is we can't, and the reason we can't, we we feel it's it's to the benefit of the show for us to provide a steam system for those that are in the laundry and dry cleaning industry to be able to run their machinery so that the attendee can see it function. And to do that, yes, we have to have a building that has a steam delivery system that encompasses plus or minus a uh, 1,000 square feet. And it's live steam. We've got a boiler outside. It's 300 and it goes 350. We've had two 350s. We've had all sorts of things. So you've got to go in. You put, bring a boiler, hook it up, boiler operator, fire it up, put all your laterals, your drops, drop it into their manifolds that's running multiple machines or into the machines. I know one thing about steam, and this is a little bit of levity for those of you who like such things. We were in New Orleans, and I can't remember what year, and everybody knows that New Orleans has a unique dialect. You know, they call water, water, not water. It's water. It's water. water. We had a problem making steam down there one year, and I had gotten very frustrated. I called, and I said, i got to get somebody that can make steam. There's an old gentleman, his name was Ernie. He's got his bibbed overalls on, he's got his little welder's hat. And he says to me, he's in there about 10 minutes, he said, boy, you don't know how to make no steam, do you? I said, no, sir, I don't think anybody in here knows how to make steam. He said, boy, you gotta make steam, you gotta have water in your boiler. <laughs> Sounds pretty simple to me, Mr. Ernie. He says, it's that simple. Put some water in your boiler and you'll make steam. Well, what we weren't doing is the pressure inside the inside the boiler right. had exceeded the ability of the pump to pump through that pressure. So once it, ex- it, it, it couldn't, we didn't get any more water, we didn't get any steam. I got you. You just had to have the pump big enough. <laughs> what will you miss most about the clean show? People. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. I've made, I hope, I think I have anyway. I've made a lot of friends. These people are great. Uh, the folks in the buildings are great. I, I have, I've been blessed to be able to do this, but it was time for me to say, you know, let let someone else do this for a while. I'd like to spend time with my grandchildren, my wife, who I haven't traveled with for it seems like forever. She'd tell you never. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's so many of you out there that I know by name that I've enjoyed friendships with and enjoyed cutting up with and kidding with and playing jokes with. You know, I'm a big jokester. I love to have fun. Love to work hard, but I love to have fun too. And I'm going to miss it. And and there's no doubt about me being emotional. Uh, So any of you that are listening to this, if you see me at the show with a tear in my eye, I have not been eating onions. (laughs) I'm thinking about what's going to happen to me when the show's over. So, uh, but I, it's, that's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss the people. Just because, uh, uh, you, you know, Riddle and Associates will no longer be managing the clean show doesn't mean Riddle and Associates is going anywhere or John Riddle is going anywhere. You'll still be around. Uh, as you said, you hope to spend more time with family and, and you've got a, a grown son and, and three grandchildren, right. almost grown, uh, a wife who wants to travel more. And, uh, you know, you've got those things in front of you, but also Riddle and Associates. I mean, 
you know, you're you're still going to be involved in business. Oh yeah, well, we, that's uh, after this contract is is up. Well, it's well, I have a consulting arm of as you know of, of our business. There's there's folks who are already asking me if I'd be willing to do this and this or that, and you know, as long as I don't have to get up every morning at five thirty and know that I got to be somewhere and I can't. My wife and I decide we want to go somewhere or I see my grandchildren. I don't. I'm not going to quit. I, I. I. I don't think I could really make it long if I just went and, went and just sat down and started reading and yeah. read every day. I got to read. I got to <clears> play a little golf. I want to fish. I want to. I may get back into riding horses again. Real is going to still be around. We're not going to just close the doors. You know, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking right now as you're heading into? You're about three months out mm-hmm. from Clean Show in New Orleans. Show seems to be shaping up pretty well. Just what are your thoughts on bringing this last show home? Well, all I'm, I and I don't say this flippantly. I pray every day that we can deliver for this industry a dynamic show as our last show. We, I will tell you, it won't be cause of lack of effort if, if something happened. But we, we want to make this special. We want to make this show special as we've done all the time. Uh, I think we're going to have a good show. Uh, based on what I'm seeing, you know, normally you can pretty much say Las Vegas is is where everybody thinks is the best. Not necessarily the best, but that's, you know, perception is reality. Sure. But I, I think there that we're going to have a great show in New Orleans. New Orleans is a good place to go. I, I just hope that we can deliver the quality of show that we fortunately and thank God we've been able to deliver at least in our mind to date, uh, because this is a great industry and we like being a part of its if, if its future and and hopefully we can we can give it another another good show. I would like for a lot of people to be there. That would be great if we could set a record on our last one. I don't know if we'll do that, but it would be nice for if we could turn out a record number. Uh, I certainly wouldn't think it's because of me, but I, I, I think the show deserves – the show is – these guys that exhibit, they spend a lot of time and a lot of money planning and providing the best information they can for the industry, and I'd like to see a large number come and take advantage of that, really. Well, we uh, at American Trade Magazines have already uh, – we already have our booth space uh, reserved, so we'll certainly be there. We you know We anxiously cover that show. And uh, we'll be there again, uh, looking forward to it. And so with that, I'm going to wrap today's episode of uh, the American Coin Op podcast. Uh, it's always been a pleasure of mine uh, to uh, to speak with you, John. And I appreciate the time that you've taken and, and inviting me into your offices for this podcast. Thanks very much. You bet. It's our pleasure. And uh, you be safe in your travels. And I will see you in New Orleans. I'll see you there. The American Coin Op Podcast is a production of American Trade Magazine's LLC in Chicago with music written by Nazar Ryback and provided by Hook Sounds. You can learn more about our monthly podcasts at our website, AmericanCoinOp.com. And I encourage you to send your feedback and topic ideas to me at my email, bbags at atmags.com. For American Coin Op, this is Bruce Beggs saying your cycle is up.